This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The medtech industry has enjoyed robust M&A activity, strong financings, and a rise in R&D investments. But other numbers point to troubling developments that threaten the future health and growth of the industry, according to a new report from EY. We spoke to Ellen Licking, EY Life Sciences lead analyst, about the report, concerns about the venture capital industry's move away from the sector, and questions about who will fund early-stage innovation that will be necessary for the future growth of the industry. Ellen, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to discuss EY's new global medtech report, the state of the medtech industry. There are some positives here, but I'd argue that there's much the industry should be concerned about that's in your report. Let's start with what's good news in here, which is often tempered. Make the case for why the industry should be optimistic. What's in the numbers that should give us encouragement about the long-term health of the medtech industry? Sure. I think as we noted in this year's report, um, we really see a lot of the financial performance um, and deal-making metrics as kind of a Rorschach test. Um, Optimists are going to find things to gravitate toward. Pessimists are likewise going to find key statistics to latch on to. On the positive front, um, there's no denying it was a robust market for um, IPOs. It contributed nearly $2.3 billion to the annual financing total, and it was also a very healthy M&A market. Um, now, in terms of total deal numbers, we didn't see as many tech M&As in 2014, 2015 as we did in the year prior. But, you know, for deals valued at less than $10 billion, we did see the average deal size increase, and that was driven partly because we saw a number of deals in that mid-sized range between $1 billion and $10 billion. And so, you know, as companies, the bigger companies, the acquirers, are looking to focus their businesses and also achieve critical mass, um, they are acquiring other companies, and, and that's been a, a positive for the industry overall. And I think the third metric I would point to relates to the uptick in R&D spending. Now, R&D spending increased 6% in 2014 to just over $14 billion. That's the fifth year in a row we've seen an increase. Um, equally important, though, this uptick comes at a time when companies are returning less cash to shareholders via share buybacks and dividends. And we did go through a period in the post the global financial crisis where a lot of the capital allocation was really driven by short-term priorities and keeping investors sweet in medtech stocks via, via um, 
returning cash to shareholders. And I'd argue that, you know, it's a very subtle rebalancing in capital allocation, but it does suggest that um, particularly the bigger companies, the commercial leaders in the medtech space, are thinking about focusing on activities aimed at future growth. And that's, I think, an important signpost to watch in the coming year and for next year's edition of the report. The, the industry raised an impressive amount of money in the 12 months ending in June 2015. A, a big portion of that, though, was debt, and that was concentrated in a handful of large companies that were financing acquisitions. What can you say about innovation capital? How much was raised that would fund innovative companies, and how did that compare historically? Well, you're right. And I, I want to begin, actually, by just defining what we mean by innovation capital um, for listeners. This is the money raised by companies with less than $500 million in revenue. And as such, it's an important bellwether for the financial health of earlier stage companies, those companies that you can think of as the wellspring for future medtech innovation. And again, this is one of those worrisome signs that you alluded to um, in your opening remarks, Dan. You know, in 2014-15, innovation capital fell 12%. Um, to around $13 billion. It's the second consecutive yearly drop in innovation capital. And it's coming at a time of a um, positive IPO climate. I think what's more worrisome about this scenario is actually the um, sort of concentration we're seeing in the marketplace in terms of which early stage companies um, actually have the capital um, and what we're seeing is a concentration of that cash into the coffers of a smaller percentage of companies. And, and that means that the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in medtech is growing. And just to give you some numbers for this, um, we looked at this. And, you know, when you look at financings of greater than $50 million, in this most recent period we tracked, they accounted for about 50% of all the innovation capital around $7 billion. But in 2008, you know, at the nadir of sort of med tech financing, um, it was just 22% of the total were these big bolus financings and about $1.6 billion. And so, again, this just suggests that the cash is getting concentrated in a smaller number of companies. And so the companies that have it, that's great. But for the companies who are looking to raise money or have interesting, innovative ideas, it's a real struggle. In terms of companies that completed IPOs, it seems medtech companies tended to be more mature than their biotech counterparts. How did the medtech IPOs in general compare to the biotech IPOs in terms of capital raise, stage of company, and, and aftermarket performance? Mm -hmm. well, so you're right. Histori historically, medtech companies um, have those that have been able to access the public markets via IPOs have been more mature than biotechs. We don't it have the same dynamics working in the medtech space as we do in the biotech market. Um, and so this was not a shift um, in a trend in 2014-15. This has been kind of a, a, a continuation of just the way the market dynamics work. And one of the major differences, I would say, between biotech and medtech. In terms of the, the total dollars raised, in 2014, biotechs raised close to $7 billion, $6.8 billion in 95 deals. And, and these are biotechs who listed in the U.S. or European exchanges. 
Um, more than 50% of those companies priced within or above the range. During 2014 for MedTechs, um, there were 45 companies that went public on U.S. and European exchanges, raising about $1.7 billion. So you can see the dollar total is, is less. Um, I think from a 2014 perspective, in terms of pricing, less than half of those companies actually priced at or, or above their range, expected ranges. So, you know, at least in 2014, 50% of them or more than 50% of them took haircuts. Now, 2015, biotech year to date, we've seen about 60 deals um, and I, over $4 billion um, raised via the IPO market. Um, for med techs, we've had um, many fewer deals. We've seen 23 deals through um, September 2015, um, raising about $1.4 billion. But that is you know, a healthy IPO market consistently for the med tech sector. And I think, you know, in terms of um, their ability to price within or above their expected ranges, um, med tech saw a real improvement in that in 2015 as compared to 2015. So more than 50% of those companies were pricing above their, at, within or above their ranges. So, you know, that's a healthy sign. Um, and those companies that are getting out, I think, after performance, after market performance has been strong. Um, so, you know, again, I would say the major difference is you, you're not seeing the kinds of valuations you see with biotech. We are not seeing the pre-commercial companies with billion-dollar valuations in the tech sector. Well, the big area of concern that comes through here is, is venture funding, particularly mm-hmm. for early-stage companies, which raises concern about future innovation and growth in the industry. How has the industry done overall with with venture funding? You're right. You know, one of the things we flag in this year's report is is what we call a persistent vacuum in in venture financing, particularly for early-stage companies. It's interesting. When you go back and look overall at uh, venture investment through the years, and particularly in the period after 2008, What we have seen is that venture financing has held remarkably steady. And I think when we first looked at this actually last year, we were a little bit surprised because I think the, you know, talking to VCs in the industry, um, talking to entrepreneurs in the industry, there is this notion that, you know, it's just much tougher to get funding right now. And, and, and what we saw actually was that the venture dollars hadn't really fallen off a cliff. They'd held remarkably steady in the sort of $4.7 billion range, but it was this new lower normal. And, you know, it was as if the, the amount of capital um, and venture investment got reset in the wake of the global financial crisis. Um, now, that said, I think what's more worrying is that um, just in the same way we're seeing that um, concentration of ca- of capital from an innovative capital standpoint in the hands of fewer companies, we're seeing early stage funding erode much faster. And so in absolute terms, the dollars devoted to early stage um, financings, and, and we define those as seed series A or series B, um, dropped in the period that we most recently tracked to less than $1.3 billion. And, 
you know, if you track the total flows of capital and percentages, that equated to just 29% of all of venture investments in med tech going to companies that were raising those seed Series A or Series B rounds. And that's worrisome, as you point out, in terms of are the entrepreneurs who are uh, developing the next generation med tech innovations able to get the funding they need to really um, begin to push their their new devices forward and test them. Um, now, I will say that, you know, we did talk to two um, VCs, Josh Mackauer of NEA and then Antoine Papernak of Sofa Nova about this topic for the report and their perspectives are included in this year's edition. And, you know, what both of them said is while they're worried about this, there's still a number of, you know, really fantastic um, and exciting opportunities in MedTech. And, you know, and Antoine's perspective really is that um, it's, there has been some rationalization. This is forcing from an economic perspective um, that the notion that the, the truly best companies and the ones that really have innovations that are breakthrough and are going to change sort of the delivery of care are the ones that are actually getting funded and, and you know, to, to bear that in mind. Well, what's accounted for the lack of venture capital interest in the space and, and what will it take to reverse that? I mean, I think there, it's multifactorial, right? I think, um, you know, in the wake of the global financial crisis, limited partners who um, invested in venture, you know, looked at their own portfolios and, and reallocated their um, distributions. Um, they looked at the returns they were getting for MedTech. Um, and at the time, you know, in the wake of the financial crisis, crisis, there wasn't a, a robust IPO market. We had this period where the regulatory climate got much more complex and difficult. And so the time frame to get a product to market, which has always been the um, kind of gatepost for success in terms of being acquired or, or, or going public, um, lengthened as a result of that. And we also entered a period where um, Reimbursement became a big issue, and and the hospital systems and payers were themselves consolidating, and and that created a lot of uncertainty. And the market doesn't like uncertainty. Um, and I would say, you know, the reimbursement climate has, or the regulatory climate, excuse me, has improved dramatically. And there's much more optimism about the ability to work with regulators and the clarity that regulators are providing about what data are required or not required. I think reimbursement is still a really big uncertainty. And when you talk to um, executives in the field, they discuss the fact that, um, you know, Pairs always come back wanting more data. There are always more data desired to show the value for a product. Um, you know, and I think you've seen MedTech broadly, um, particularly the bigger stage companies, think through that dynamic and look at how they can access different kinds of technologies to begin to collect that data, whether it's digital technologies, whether it's taking advantage of, of new advances in sensors and monitoring that begin to showcase the value of, of a device. 
There's some reference in the report to the investment activity of strategics, but it mm-hmm. doesn't seem that the conventional med tech giants have played the same type of role as investors in early stage innovation as their counterparts in the biopharmaceutical industry. What are you seeing in terms of activity from strategics? So there are a number of strategics that are very committed in the marketplace. Um, that you're right, they haven't played as big a role as um, corporate venture in the biopharma space. Um, but we anticipate they will be a bigger, have a bigger share of voice and, and play a bigger role sort of in this next period. Um, and it'll be a signpost that we watch for. I think, you know, in the biopharma space, um, you know, in the wake of the global financial crisis when biopharma itself retrenched, there was a lot of angst about who was going to fund innovation. And then a couple of years after that, you really saw the corporate step up and they were leading rounds and they were being very committed in the marketplace and continue to do so. And I, I think you're starting to hear a lot of that vocalization. I would say the other thing to keep in mind is that as we have this convergence between med tech and tech, um, and you're starting to see some new players come on board that, that represent new pools of capital. So I do think traditional tech companies that are moving into the healthcare space do represent an important new source of capital, and that's one to, to watch for. So it's not simply the Medtronics, the Becton Dickinsons, um, the Zimmers of the world, and, you know, our classic therapeutic devices. It's also the Google and the Qualcomms and others. The other thing we don't seem to see is the same type of investment in university research that we see in the biopharmaceutical industry as a, a way to tap early stage innovation. A- any thoughts on why that is? Well, I think the model is different. I mean, and, you know, in the biopharma space, you have big efforts in translational medicine um, and really moving beyond um, sort of that bench to how it would be used in patients. I, I think... In the med tech space, we have a vibrant community of um, incubators, and we've had, you know, I would point to the foundry and the innovation factory, which are stalwarts in the incubator space, but other groups like ExploraMed that have played a key role here. Um, and, and, you know, I would say that universities are conscious of this, and you're starting to see them take a more concerted effort. So I would point to... Um, what's happening in, in San Francisco um, and the the Resenman Institute, um, which is a, a new medtech incubator that's kind of an offshoot of the biopharma incubator QB3. And then also, you know, another one I'm very close to, given my location in the peninsula in California, is Stanford and what they're doing with the Stanford Biodesign. And I think they're bringing together lots of people, and that's creating a community um, of entrepreneurs and, and is bubbling up to really drive those innovations forward. The industry is fast to point to regulation, reimbursement, and, and taxes is the reason that venture investors have fled the space and the need to address these issues. But when I think back to the financial downturn and the biotech industry's policy, policy agenda, the focus was much more on direct incentives to investment and, and lowering the bars on access to capital. This is an industry that is still very much driven by a, a handful of large companies. 
where something like the tax from the Affordable Care Act has much more meaning than to an early stage innovation company that is concerned with capital formation. What impact does this have on creating a meaningful innovation agenda for the industry? Well, I, I think there are important signposts in place. I think AdvaMed has put forth its own innovation agenda this year to really jumpstart the conversation and show that, yes, it's aware that this is potentially an issue. And, you know, I think the big med techs themselves are conscious of the fact that um, they can't keep coming back with low single-digit revenue growth year over year. Um, it's not something that's going to excite investor enthusiasm. Um, and so, you know, I I think the steps that have been discussed and are in place at big at the macro level seem to be the right steps. It's going to take time to play out. Um, and I think one of the things that concerns sort of the entrepreneurs and the the venture groups that back those entrepreneurs in the short term is we've seen because of the more difficult uh, regulatory and reimbursement climate, the shift that I spoke of earlier of um, companies wanting to focus their business models and create scale so that they can think through having a portfolio of products to go to payers with, right? Um, the off, the, the outcome of this emphasis on focus and feel, of course, it's been a consolidation at the top of the industry, and it has led to fewer acquirers for, you know, the more innovative companies. And I think, you know, one concern in the interim that many entrepreneurs and VCs have that when we spoke to for reporting this edition of Pulse was how that was going to affect valuations for those new companies that are coming up. Um, and, you know, if you only have two or three potential acquirers for your particular technology, how do you develop relationships with those two to three companies now and make sure, essentially, that um, they're aware of what you're doing, why it's important, and, and are building in sort of the specs um, that are going to make it an important um, device in the marketplace? Ellen Licking, EY Life Sciences Lead Analyst. Ellen, thanks so much for your time today. Again, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.